Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Well, I want to give you just a little bit of insight into what it's looked like in our house over these days of quarantine. There have been some really simple joys. I've played more games in the last several weeks than I ever have in my life. I still can't beat our oldest daughter, Evie, at the princess matching game. There have been a lot of shared meals and conversations. It's been really beautiful. We talk about what's the best thing about your day, what was the worst thing every day. It's been great. There have been some epic meltdowns, mostly by the kids. And I understand that through the course of this quarantine, like save some of my pastoral work that takes me into the neighborhood, we have a privilege of being able to be safe and secure at home. A privilege that I know is afforded to me by, by many other people who show up for work. A privilege that, that has nothing to do with anything that I've done to earn it. A, a privilege that I know is not true of anyone. And, and over the course of our conversations with our kids, we've discussed things about the virus and what it means uh, for the world to be hurting and suffering right now and for what it means to be God, uh, for God still to be good and sovereign in the midst of it. And the most common conversation that we have shared together as a family, the most common theme that arises in our, all of our discussions is simply this. Our kids asking, can I have a snack? Now listen, I know not all of you listening have young kids at home, so maybe you can relate your own experiences with a renewed proximity to the pantry, a renewed and increased amount of time to contemplate the snacks that might be available to you in the fridge. But for our three kids, they must have some sort of internal alarm clock set to go off every 15 minutes, reminding them to ask for goldfish and cheese and yogurt and granola bars. It's just constant asking. And let me tell you, it's tempting. I, I don't do this, but it is tempting for me to just say yes every time they ask. Because the response that I get when I say no seems far out of proportion to the question that is being asked. And as much as I try to reason with our children that we are trying to limit their sugar intake, that a diet that consists of 4,000 Cheez-Its a day does not constitute a healthy diet, that it's simply not possible for their 30-something pound frames to require calories on nearly a second-by-second -second basis, for all my well-reasoned attempts to say, no, my kids simply don't care. They simply are expressing their wills, their desires as they experience them in that moment. And I think about this as it's been so much of our experience over the course of the thousand days or however long we've been quarantined. Uh, I think about what it means to be a child. To be a child is to really intuitively understand the power of a question. Of, of course, our kids don't only ask for snacks. They also ask to watch TV. No, I'm kidding. Our kids ask for permission. They ask for the ability to do things. They ask to understand. They ask to go play in the yard. But kids, as they ask questions, have no division between their words, their actions, and their thoughts. Children are wholly integral beings. 
Yes, a, a two-year-old who's having a temper tantrum is expressing the innermost depths of their soul as they experience them in that moment. Now, these expressions may be immature, but they are authentic. Children exist in this kind of holistic concert, a harmony of will, of emotion, and action. And it's interesting that Jesus tells us that unless we're willing to receive the kingdom of God, like a, like a child would receive it, unless we're willing to respond to it in that way, we won't understand it. And I don't think Jesus is inviting us to this kind of simplistic, uninformed, irrational, immature faith. What I think Jesus is beckoning us towards is, is what we've talked about as we've set up this series. To understand fear of the Lord. To understand what it means to be human. To understand that God is God and that we are not. To understand that to be human is to embrace limits. And children get this intuitively. They understand their limits. They understand the authority that, that is surrounding them. And so they use the only means available to them to get what they want. They ask. You see, for a child to ask her parents for something or, or for their parents to do something for them is actually kind of a nascent expression of the kind of wisdom that we've been aspiring to achieve as a people. And for us, as, as, as their parents, for Courtney and I, when we respond, both in the content of the response and in the relatedness of the response, the way that we respond to them, we are forming and shaping our children. We're shaping their character, their maturity. And we see so much of this, this interaction with our life with God. That our life with God is, is one of asking. Our life with God is one of, of relating and communing and conversing. And Proverbs 2 continues to invite us into this paradigm, offering several rewards if we will pursue a life with God in the way of God. And you'll see this on their screen. We've been exploring this if-then paradigm that takes place in Proverbs 2. And it basically says that if we will take on these behaviors, we will reap these rewards. In the past two weeks, we have delved into what it means to truly hear the Word of God. To hear the Word of God personally addressed to us. And then to take the next step to contemplate it. To plant it deep within our hearts to pay attention with the Word of God as our filter for life throughout the course of the events of our day. To see that God, even in the most seemingly mundane moments of our lives, is speaking. He is providing. He's, he's giving insight. He is leading. And today, as we continue in Proverbs 2, we want to move to the third if in our if-then paradigm from Proverbs 2. And it says, if we will cry out, if we will raise our voice for understanding, God will respond. Or put more simply, so even a child can understand it, if we will ask, we will receive. And today we want to look briefly at the power of asking in the economy of the kingdom of God. We started out looking at prayer as hearing the word and of meditating on that word addressed to us. And, and I think really this whole series about wisdom, this whole series exploring the Proverbs has been about prayer. And, and if I would have said this is a series about prayer, so many of us would have just conceptually jumped to, well, prayer is asking God for things. 
And, and prayer is not less than that. But prayer, first and foremost, as Eugene Peterson says, is paying attention to God. And as we pay attention to God, we share life with Him. We see His heart. And His heart begins to shape our heart. His desires begin to shape our desires. His will begins to shape our will. And our life becomes more aligned with His. And it's out of the overflow of a relationship that we move to the petitioning, to the asking. It's out of the overflow of a life lived with God that we bring the desires of our hearts, that we bring the needs that we are experiencing in any given moment, and we ask God for His kingdom to come, for His will to be done. And and as we're going to see today, God is inviting us into this profound partnership to pray on behalf of the people that we encounter, that God would change destinies, that He would rewrite stories, to pray on behalf of the world that we live in, that God would, would confront unjust systems and structures, and that we pray for wisdom and for insight as Proverbs 2 invites us towards, to be a people who seek wisdom from the very mouth of God. Charles Spurgeon says, Asking is the rule of the kingdom of God. If you may have everything by asking in his name and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is. And last week we pondered the question, what are you paying attention to? And I hope, I hope that you took my challenge to win the day, to spend 10 minutes of dedicated time of silence and solitude first thing in the morning. And I hope you'll keep doing that this week. This is a lifelong practice. But this week, we're going to add on another layer to that practice. And I want to invite you to consider this simple question. What are you asking for? Proverbs 2 invites us to cry out for insight, to raise our voices for understanding. James 1 verse 5 puts it this way. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God. And and God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, will give you wisdom, will give you insight. So the question for us today is, what are we asking for? Proverbs 2 tells us that if we ask for insight and understanding, we will understand fear of the Lord, and we will find the knowledge of God. But not only that, we will also understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path, and wisdom will become a fortress and a refuge, and it will guard our lives. We've been exploring this if-then paradigm. And if you look closely at this paradigm, this paradigm of sowing and reaping, this paradigm of a path that we've been exploring and sitting with for the last couple weeks, you see that there is this beautiful flow woven into Proverbs 2. This flow of relational experience to lived reality. The first two benefits that we receive from from responding to God by asking for wisdom and insight is we understand fear of the Lord and we understand knowledge of God. For the biblical writers, knowledge of God is never simply a, a purely intellectual exercise as if we accumulate facts and figures about the divine, but rather knowledge of God is a holistic, deep, and experiential encounter. It is relationship. And in in the course of Proverbs 2, out of this relationship, out of understanding fear of the Lord, out of understanding knowledge of God comes lived reality, righteousness, justice, equity, and every good path. And all of these things have to do with the way that we live life in the world. 
The phrase that is the inspiration for this series title is Eugene Peterson's observation that wisdom is living skillfully in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. So first and foremost, we cry out to God for wisdom and insight so that we might know the heart of God. Jesus begins instructing his disciples on how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, not what they request, but with an acknowledgement of relationship. Jesus tells them to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And as we've discussed the past two weeks, prayer is not primarily us bringing petitions to God. It's not less than that. Prayer is us paying attention to God, hearing his words, and allowing the content of those words to be planted deep within the soil of our lives so that they will reap a harvest. This is why we've been so focused on the practices of hearing scripture, of silence and solitude, and paying attention to God, and paying attention throughout our day. To answer the question, what are we asking for? It is actually of the utmost importance that we ask the question as well, who is it that we are asking? Now, consider this scenario. It would be strange for us to walk into a bank today and ask for a hamburger. The bank teller would look at you quite strangely and respond, dude, this is not a Wendy's. And one of the things that prayer does for us, one of the things that hearing the word of God does for us, is it helps us to shape our questions to the context of the will of God. The question for a burger in the context of a bank is out of bounds. And so what the word of God is doing is it's building the bounds for the questions that we ask of God. But now, here's where it gets really interesting. Jesus says to his disciples, ask whatever you wish in my name and it will be given to you. Now, just as it would be strange for us to walk into a bank and ask for a burger, it would almost be stranger if on the way into the bank, the bank owner pulled us aside and said, hey, listen here, all the money in this bank, all of it's yours. All you have to do is ask for it. Proverbs 2 verse 6 tells us that the Lord gives wisdom. So what am, I, what am I telling you? Am I telling you that whatever your heart desires, because God has signed some, some eternal cosmic contract that he has to give you what you want, that you should ask him for? Well, sort of. Listen, though I'm, I'm about two weeks of hair growth away from being full-on televangelist. Like it's going to be like some serious TBN stuff happening on top of my head very soon. I'm not telling you that God will give you whatever you think will make you happy or content in the context of any given moment. But what I'm telling you is something far better, a better prosperity gospel, a gospel that means prosperity for the entire world, a gospel that will, as Jesus says, cost you your life, but in exchange, you will find all the truly beautiful things about life, all the goodness and joy and peace that God has to offer you will find that by giving of yourself, by dying to yourself, that your neighbors find life. This is the prosperity gospel that Jesus preaches. And I'm telling you that when we allow our lives to be shaped by who God actually is, 
who he's actually revealed himself to be, when we see his desires and allow them to become our own, then we have nearly limitless resources at our fingertips. Then we can pray as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then we can pray as Jesus taught us that we can ask for whatever in his name and it will be given to us. Now this past week, I just undertook a simple survey. Really just asking the question, what does God want? What do the scriptures show us that God wants? And I think it's a really powerful question and the results were frankly quite astounding. But just using the language of want and desire, what does God want from us? And I want you to look at what I found. Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6, If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. God says, you will be the the foremost of my desires. And look at what he says, you will be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. What does God want? Well, first and foremost, he wants a people that he can dwell in and among. But not only a people that he can be around, he wants a people to be his partners. A priestly kingdom, a holy nation. God is looking to do something in the world. He's looking for a people to do it within and through. Hosea 6 verse 6, what does God want? He wants steadfast love, not sacrifice. He wants people to have the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God wants our hearts, not what we can bring to him. He doesn't want our stuff. He wants the the fullness of our lives. Micah 6 verse 8, what does God want? Well, he wants us to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with God. Psalm 51 verse 6, what does God want? He wants wants us to expose and to allow him access into the hidden places of our hearts. Psalm 132, what does God want? He wants to dwell among his people. Jesus in Matthew 9, quoting Hosea 6, Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I've come to call the righteous, not sinners. Jesus is looking for those who know they need God. In Luke 13, Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. He longs to gather the people in his arms for them to take refuge in his embrace. In Luke 22, Jesus tells his disciples, I have longed to share this Passover meal with you. Jesus wants to share a meal with us. In Romans 9, it says that God wants to express his wrath Not against people, but at injustice, at evil, at depravity. In Galatians 5, 17 and 22, it says that the Spirit has desires for what it is bringing to bear in our lives. The Spirit desires joy and peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, and self-control for our lives to exhibit these beautiful fruit. Hebrews 6, God wants to show us even more clearly through the giving of His Son, the unchangeable character of His purposes. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, and I love this passage, God desires that everyone would be saved. I'm going to say it more plainly than that. God wants every single person, every daughter, every son. And 2 Peter 3 verse 9, God wants that all would come to repentance. And I think Jesus in John 17, as he prays for his disciples, really encapsulates, really summarizes, what does God want? Look at what he says in John 17. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory, which you have given me, you have loved me before the foundation of the world. 
God desires to be with us. God desires to show us his glory. And Jesus expresses this in his prayer so beautifully. So a brief summary. What does God want? God wants to dwell near his people, to care for us, to share life with us, to make us a people of justice, loving kindness, who walk humbly with him, who reserve the hidden places of our hearts for him. He wants to share meals with us. He wants that no person should ever be lost or would perish. And he wants us for us to see his glory. He wants us to be with him. Now I ask you again, what are you asking for? The word of God shapes us towards the heart of God. And prayer is asking God to put into motion his very heart. Now C.S. Lewis famously said that prayer doesn't change God, it changes us. And while I understand the heart behind that statement, I have to disagree. You see, to pray and to ask God brings about new possibilities and realities in the world. It puts into motion the very heart of God. God, in some strange and mysterious way, partners with us in our prayers, partners with our desires as our desires become aligned with His. And so first and foremost in this process is for us to hear the word of God, for us to to contemplate it and to treasure it. But then out of the overflow of his revealed character and will, to ask, to bring desires and petitions before him that are in alignment with his will. Proverbs 2 invites us to cry out for insight and understanding. And as James 1 tells us, we don't simply accumulate knowledge about God as if somehow understanding and knowledge about God are something that we could hold on to. James 1 says that we, are, we don't want to merely be hearers of the word, but we want to be doers of the word. And as we receive insight into God's character, into his will, into his love and his heart and his glory, God invites us to do something with that knowledge. And the first thing that we do is exactly what we're going to put into practice this week to pray for people by name. We'll talk about that more in just a couple of moments. I love the story that Hudson Taylor tells about the way prayer paved the path for his own life with God, his own mission in the world. Hudson Taylor was the founder of the China Inland Mission, a British citizen who spent 51 years forging a path for the gospel in largely unreached villages and cities in the interior of China. Taylor lived in the 19th century, and he was a medical missionary and one of the fathers and founders of the modern missions movement. And in his journals, he describes the events that surrounded his conversion. Taylor grew up in a household with parents who loved God and wanted their son to trust him with his life. But Taylor had grown resolutely opposed to the notion that there was a God, especially, and this is so often the case, after observing the joyless and judgmental lives of those who professed to be Christians. And Taylor tells the story of one holiday from school. He's kind of bored. I just want something to read. He picks up a gospel tract because in his words, there would be a story and a moral, and he would simply enjoy the story and discard the moral. As C.S. Lewis also says, if you want to remain an atheist, you cannot be too careful about what you read. And what Taylor didn't realize is that at the moment where he picked up his tract, Uh, His mother, who was away on holiday herself, felt this urging from the Spirit of God to pray for her son in that moment. 
And so she goes away to her room to pray for Hudson. Hudson picks up this tract and begins to read it so he can enjoy the story. And as Hudson is reading, he gets to the end of the tract and he gets stuck on this phrase, the finished work of Christ. And all the Spirit's conviction, all the love of God converges upon Hudson Taylor in this moment, landing heavily upon him. All of his questions and all of his doubts as he reads this phrase fall short. The finished work of Christ. And in that moment, he could do nothing else but surrender to the love of God, to receive the truth of the gospel of King Jesus. And he shared the news with his sister whom he subsequently found out had also been praying for him. And he pleaded with his sister to not tell their mother in her correspondences with her. And when his mother returned home two weeks later, Hudson Taylor rushed to the door to greet her. And as he met his mother at the threshold to to the door of their house, he said, Mom, I have the happiest news to tell you. And Hudson's mother merely held him tight. And Hudson writes that his mother said, his mother's name is Amelia, I know, my boy. I've been rejoicing for a fortnight in the glad tidings you have to tell me. Why, I asked in surprise, has Amelia, his sister was also named Amelia, broken her promise? She said she would tell no one. My dear mother assured me that it was not from any human source that she had learned the tidings and went on to tell the little incident that is recounted above. Hudson Taylor's mother, Amelia, Her prayers would not only change the destiny and the course of Hudson's life, as Hudson responded to a call to become a missionary to China, as Hudson became one of the pioneers of the missionary movement. Amelia's prayers would also forever change the destiny of so many of the people in China would change the character of the Chinese church, which is, which is one of the most populated churches in the world, one of the most faithful witnesses to the gospel. Amelia's prayers would, would continue to reverberate as people saw what Hudson had done in his life and were so inspired by how he had responded to the call of God on his life that they responded to the call of God on their own life. Medical missionaries and, and missionaries themselves and ministers reading and being inspired by Hudson Taylor's life would, would go out into all of the world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, bringing people into the saving knowledge of what it means to walk in the way of Jesus. Amelia's prayers didn't just change Hudson's life. They changed the life of the Chinese church, but they didn't just change Hudson and the Chinese church. They also changed so many that we could never even uh, have a full accounting of throughout the world. And interestingly, Amelia's prayers didn't just change life for people out there, some people that we'll never meet. You see, Amelia's great-great-granddaughter is a young woman named Charlotte Taylor. An Ecclesian that we uh, love and, and adore. And Charlotte Taylor has helped plant two churches, one in the Boston area, one in the Princeton area, two areas, coincidentally, that are quite hard to plant churches. Charlotte has continued to live out the beautiful inheritance that she has received from her family, has continued to be a, an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And her faithfulness, the faithfulness that she received from her family has paved the way for destinies to be changed right here in Princeton. Friends, we are the inheritors of a beautiful lineage of answered prayers. God answers prayers.
And as God answered prayers for Amelia Taylor that paved the way for for hundreds of thousands of people to come to know Jesus, God is answering our prayers that beckon for God to make himself known to our friends, our neighbors, and our co-workers. And so the question remains for us, what are we asking for? I want to encourage you, and we'll talk more about this in just a moment, to start as Hudson's mother did, to start as Amelia Taylor did, praying for her son by name. So often we think of saving the world, but God has just said, who are your friends? Who have I put in your life? Would you pray for them? Would you be faithful to pray for them? You see, when Jesus was being crucified, at the moment of his greatest need, he's being mocked. People are surrounding the crucifixion scene and they're saying, oh, Jesus saved other people. He healed others. And look, he's being nailed to a cross. He can't save himself. Why don't you come down from the cross there, king? And Jesus doesn't respond in kind. He doesn't say, oh, there will come a day and I will show you. Jesus simply responds with prayer. And his prayer at once reveals the heart of God and petitions God on their behalf. He says with his dying breaths, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. And friends, for us this morning, we are the inheritors of this prayer. That Jesus embraced what seemed like foolishness to the world, but what was actually the wisdom of God. The cross is God's enacted prayer for us that we would be forgiven and that we would be ushered into the very presence of God. The cross is the biggest expression of what does God want. God wants us, all people, for all of times, everyone to know the truth that we are his sons and his daughters. And so the question for us, as we behold this incredible grace, is what are we going to ask for? You see, when God was asked the question, what do you want? His answer was you. His answer was me. God wanted a people that he could dwell in and among, and he draws near to us. And as we ask God the question, God, are you for us? God, are you with us? His answer is a resounding yes. His answer is given with his very own blood, with his very own life. And his answer resounds from that Easter Sunday morning as he climbs up from the grave and proclaims to one and all that Jesus is king, that he has overcome the world, that he has overcome sin and the grave, and that he invites us into his project of renewing the entire world. And it starts with the simple faithful and patient act of praying for people, people by name. So friends, this morning, would we receive this grace? Would we receive this call? Would we cry out for wisdom and insight into this heart of God that shows over and over again that his heart is relentless for people? Would you pray with me? God, we've explored today the question of what we are asking for. And I know so many of us today are asking, asking for something solid, God, asking for some sense of hope, not just in the midst of pandemic circumstances, but in the, in the, in the confines and in the broken places of our heart. 
Lord, if we're asking with our lives, God, do you love me? Lord, I pray that across this distance, across these internet frequencies and these radio waves, God, that we would hear the resounding answer of your spirit. To the question, do you love us, God, your answer is yes. And not just do you love us as some faceless mass, but do you love me with all my flaws and imperfections? Your answer is a resounding yes, an answer you gave with your very life. And God, I I pray that as we uh, begin to explore the power of asking, God, that we would be willing to do the patient and slow work of partnering with your spirit and renewing the world by praying for people by name. God, that we will ask expectantly and repeatedly and consistently and patiently. God, that we will pray on behalf of our neighbors. God, that we'll pray on behalf of those we work with. We'll pray on behalf of our families. Jesus, that all would come to a saving knowledge of who you are. Because as you've already expressed, God, you want every person to be saved. So Jesus, would you help us to step into this partnership to be people who ask boldly because asking is integral to the kingdom of God. Lord God, we love you. May we be people of the ask and more often may we be people who answer the world's questions with the beauty of your son. We ask all these things in your name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.